Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Judges is one of the most violent and bloody books in the Bible. It is not a moral manual or a story about role models, but rather a tragic narrative about Israel's moral corruption and God's continued commitment to saving his people. The tragedy here lies in the overwhelming corruption and depravity of our human condition. Despite being loved and sought after by the king of all kings, Israel's cycle of rebellion remains unbroken. Israel rebels, God allows them to be conquered and oppressed. Israel cries out and repents. God sends a judge to deliver them. There would be an era of peace, but eventually Israel would sin and the cycle would start over. This is the rhythm of judges. God has called his people to be a holy people. And instead of remaining faithful to the law and showing all the other nations who God is and what he is like, they become no different from those who dishonor God. They did what was right in their own eyes. As time goes on, these judges, or rulers of the people, become more and more corrupt. When we define what is good, we hit rock bottom. The book ends with a phrase that is repeated four times. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They have no king, nobody to unite them and bring them out of their cycle of corruption. They need to be rescued. They need a king who can rescue them from themselves. The book of Judges not only points to King David, but points to our ultimate king, the one who can rescue us fully, Jesus. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, how's everybody doing? That good, huh? All right. Well, it is the end of summer. Uh, we, we've been complaining, uh, my wife and I, about how confusing the days have been. Like, you wake up and it's like 50 degrees, so I'm like sweatshirt, jeans, and then yesterday it was like 80 degrees. So, like, you're confusing Oregon. But, um, yeah, I, my name is Jake. Um, my wife, uh, Sarah, and I and our family have been coming to GCC for, I think we're going on our fifth year, which is crazy. So, we've... Uh, been through all, uh, well, not all three, but the last three locations. Um, and I'm really excited about uh, the move to the Veterans Building. Um, I think it'll be really good. Like, it provides some, like, energy and excitement. Like, whenever you, I don't know about you, but I like new things. Maybe you're, like, opposite of me and you hate change. Um, and I'm sorry, next week won't be super fun for you. But uh, I, I get excited about these things. Um, and, and I enjoy, what I enjoy most about our church family um, over these past five years is that we don't belong to any certain building, you know. It's like no matter where we move or, or migrate to, I kind of like get to see the same people and, and we're a family no matter what. So um, I'm excited for that. And um, one shameless plug, every time I'm up here, I just like to share with you uh, that, I, that I work for a, a college uh, ministry called Crew. Um, it's formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, and so we're at the U of O. So if you are a college student or know a college student, Please come talk to me if you are interested. Um, 
in getting connected um, with a college community at U of O. Um, and so this week, uh, I have the privilege uh, of getting to yeah share God's word with you. I'm always grateful um, and sometimes surprised about when I get asked to, to be up here. And so uh, I just know that, that this pulpit um, just exists to, to bring the gospel and the true gospel to people's ears. And so uh, I'm so grateful for the chance to, to be with you guys. Um, and we'll be in uh, Judges 15. Um, so if you have your Bible, you can just kind of get there. If you don't have one, we, we have some on the back table. Uh, you can just sneakily go, go grab one. Um, there are all Bible apps on the phone. I think it'll also be up behind me. But uh, the theme for this series is uh, Trust Me, I Know I'm Right. And it's purposefully spelled wrong. Um, I, I actually was a, an English teacher in eighth grade for a couple years, and I would get this sentence like all the time, you know, and when you talk to an eighth grader, they're like, that, that's how you spell it. And it's like, no, it, it's actually not, you know, he's like, but that's how you spell the word. No, like, well, that's a different one. So as you get, you know, eighth graders do what's kind of right in their own eyes a lot of the time, but that, that's kind of the same uh, message and theme we see throughout the book of Judges is uh, the Israelites doing what is right in their own eyes. And it creates this cycle of people doing what's right in their own eyes, crying out to God for help, and then God sends a judge to deliver them. The, the video does a much better job with all the scenery than me just explaining it. And this cycle continues over and over and over again. And that's where we're picking up this week is kind of entering into that cycle. Um, and I'm just going to be honest with you as, as I was preparing to, to preach uh, this week, I'm not going to lie, it, it was uh, a gigantic struggle. Um, I was getting pretty frustrated at like why this was getting so hard. I even had like a whole thing typed up and then I like erased it. You ever do that like with an essay or something like that? You're like, I just, I can't get up and, and talk about this. So it was getting really frustrated. Um, and I realized the reason why is because I come in this morning uh, slash this week feeling very distant from God. And it's hard, you know, it's hard to get up here and, and like preach God's word when, when you're feeling distant. Um, and maybe for you, it's you're coming into church sometimes and it's hard to come when you feel so far. You like you feel like a fraud, like coming in because you feel so distant. Um, and for me, I'd like to blame it on my kids. We have two kids under a year and a half and say, well, if, if they were older, maybe I'd feel closer. Um, I like to blame it on COVID, you know, honestly, like it has disrupted my life. And so it's like, well, if things were going this way, I'd probably feel closer to God or have time to spend with him. Maybe it's the summer season when things are so busy with family and, and events and exciting things. Um, but the truth is, if I'm really honest with myself, it's not, it's not these things. Um, I feel this lack of distance because I don't remember or think about who I am at my very core. I'm, I'm like distracted by other things that are going on and I'm not resting in my identity. And I think when we feel distant from God, we forget who we are and that creates further and further distance. Um, for me, this kind of started, uh, I'm at this spot right now, but uh, just some context. It started uh, like when COVID first began. Uh, I, like I told you, I, I work for a college ministry and, and my, my role that summer was to recruit and lead a summer mission trip of 
80 plus students in Lake Tahoe, I know like suffering for Jesus in Lake Tahoe, um, and, and ended up recruiting like eight, eight students from our campus, which was like a huge, uh, exciting thing for me. And then within a month, things just kept come crashing down. And what I saw as such an exciting like thing that God could do in these students' lives just came crumbling down. To be honest with you, as, as the pandemic kind of kept going and as I saw the division within our country um, amongst races, uh, political parties, uh, you, you name it, uh, I, I started to feel a lot of depression and anxiety um, and, and they were like at an all-time high for me. And as a result, I just started trusting in myself to get through it, to be honest with you. So I said, surely if God is like big enough to rescue me and this pandemic, and all this tension in our country, if he's big enough to do it, then, then why isn't he doing it? And maybe you've asked yourself that question too. And over time, God has felt like he's just drifted further and further from me. It's almost like the winds between our boats just kind of keep pushing us in the opposite directions. And I think we all have seasons like this. I don't think I'm alone um, in feeling distant from God. Through the ups and downs, you know, uh, just like that COVID has placed on our life, the pain and anger of, of social injustice and the conversations uh, that, that we have been having, or just the realities of life. I don't know where you come in um, this morning or where you're at in this room, but I could place a nice bet uh, uh, knowing that you have had one of these seasons, if not recently. And if you aren't in one now, I guarantee you, you will go through one someday. And the truth is, is that's what happens in relationships, right? If, if you're married, you, you know full well that there are seasons where you feel super close to your spouse. And then there are seasons where you feel like strangers just sh like sharing a house or just roommates. My wife and I recently were like, we feel like we're living nannies right now. You know, it's like you take care of this kid and I'll go to sleep. And then now it's your turn and your shift starts. Um, and it's not just marriage. It could be friendships, uh, you know, family. We all belong to a family of some sort um, or friendships. And we know that there are seasons where we feel really close to friends and family and times where we feel distant from one another. And if our relationship with God is real, then naturally we, we are going to have these seasons too. And to me, that's just further proof that our relationship with him is real. We can't, real, we can't experience you know, closeness and distance from an inanimate object, something that doesn't exist. And so what happens when this distance seems to continue to go on and on? Honestly, it gets, it gets harder for us to turn to God. Uh, anybody like take a break from working out for just like a couple months? It's like, it's, well, if you're me, it's, it's been years. Um, and, and it's like getting back into it is so hard, right? Like it takes a lot of effort. And, and it's similar in our relationship with God in that way. It's like when you kind of get going in, in this rhythm of, of being distanced, it's hard to get back. And, and naturally, we lose sight of our identity and who God has made us. We tend to fall into sin, sometimes heavy sin, and we hide in it. I love when Rick brought up last week of, of just being open about and sharing about um, our sin struggles with others. We end up turning our back on God and we, not, we don't trust him. And maybe we're too ashamed of our brokenness. The same thing happens, interestingly, in the Garden of Eden, uh, kind of coming full circle. Um, and, and this is not new. And when Adam and Eve uh, take part in the fruit, they're, they're ashamed. They forget who they are. They forget who God is and their distance, uh, you know, their closeness with God. Um, they start to separate from him is what I should say. 
we allow the world around us, right, to tell us who we are. If, if God isn't telling us who we are, some, something has to be. Um, and we allow those things to tell us who we are, just like God says to Adam and Eve, who, who told you you were naked? Like, where did you get that idea? It came from somewhere outside of themselves. And it can come within our own hearts, as we learned last week, they can, it can be deceitful. And we see this throughout all biblical history. That's just one example, and especially in the book of Judges. And so uh, th- this morning, there are lots of threads I think we could like pull through the story of Samson, and I'm just pulling one of them, okay? So I realize that there's a lot uh, that we could dig into, and I'm just going to pull one, one string. And so we're going to pick up and reading in Judges 15, but as we do, I want you to look at this through the lens of being distant from God, okay? That's the thread um, we're going to look at it through and see what it has to say about us and our lives and how we interact with God. And my prayer is that God will draw us near to him and lead us to him. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Um, Father, I just want to say thank you, first of all, uh, for this church family. Thank you for bringing everyone here. Um, Lord, you know the hearts of every person sitting in every chair um, and, and know that we, we come in, um, some of us hurting, some of us uh, enjoying life, some of us frustrated, overwhelmed, you name it. And you know every ounce of those emotions and have felt them to their fullest. So Lord, thank you that you're a God who understands. Thank you for your word that you give it to us as a light and a direction. Um, and most of all, um, as a way to get to know you better and come into relationship with you. Um, I pray this morning that you would just use me as your mouthpiece, that if there's anything I say that is not true, that, yeah, that it wouldn't land. Um, it would just go in one ear and out the other. But if there is something that I say, Lord, that you, you want to speak uh, to your children, I pray that it would rest in our hearts um, and be like a rock in our shoe throughout the week that we can't forget. And uh, we love you a lot and pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so just some quick context. Uh, at the time of Samson's birth, so I'm kind of going back a couple chapters uh, within Samson's life, Israel has been under the authority of the Philistines for 40 years, uh, which is a, a long period of time, right? It's the longest stretch uh, that we see so far um, at this point. And there is no indication, which is very interesting, and I'll come back to this later, that they, they actually do not cry for help this time. And so we see the cycle of, you know, Israel falling in, you know, to sin, doing what's right in their own eyes, crying out to God. We actually don't see that when Samson comes on the scene. It's very important. But God sends them a judge in Samson, even when they don't cry out. Um, And really his entire calling, if you look at what he is meant to do, he's supposed to kill Philistines. I mean, that, that is like his main job. And his main role is to rescue Israelites from the Philistines by destroying them and liberating Israel from their oppressive rule, which would have included, uh, just a side note, that Phil- the, the Philistines would have been in their, their rule, been like teaching about their gods and leading people towards their gods. And we can't forget that. It's not just like the, they're a military force. It's like they're... they're uh, their oppression includes their, you know, their culture in a sense, their, their religion, um, their, their practices, all of those things. So it's not just like they own the territory or something like that. Um, and last week, Rick talked uh, and walked us through, uh, you know, chapter uh, 14, um, <clears throat> which is kind of the launching pad of how God starts using Samson 
to free Israel from the Philistines. Kind of, you know, in an unconventional, uh, not a pure way by any means uh, through, through Samson's actions. But nonetheless, you know, going towards his calling of liberating Israel um, from the Philistines. So with that, we'll, we'll go ahead and uh, read um, verses 1 through 8. So if you could join me. After some days at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber, but her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the uh, standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistine says, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock at Etam. I think I'm saying that right. So what's happening here in this section is this uh, sequence of retaliation, right? And offense on the part of Samson and the Philistines. It's kind of like, you're doing this, so I'm going to retaliate. Um, and remember, as Rick pointed out last week, that God chooses to use people, even sinful people, to accomplish his good plan. So none of this that we're talking about is, is through the eyes of like Samson is perfect, like he has got it together. Uh, more so that God is willing to use people who are broken to accomplish his plan. So what is God using Samson for here? Um, so we, we hear about these foxes that he, that he gathers. The interesting thing is that they're actually probably uh, jackals, which... If you know anything about, you know, foxes, they, they actually usually travel alone. So to gather 300 foxes would have been, you know, nearly impossible. Um, but jackals, on the other hand, can travel into, in packs of up to 200. So don't get me wrong, like gathering 200 jackals at once would be really difficult. Um, but not as difficult as gathering foxes. Sorry, Samson, I'm, I'm stealing some of your, your thunder here. Um, and so he, he catches 300 of these, ties them together, lights torches between them, and sends them into the wheat harvest and into the olive fields. Initially, I don't know about you, but as you read this, it kind of seems like this like teenage prank or something, you know, like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to light these things on fire and send them into their fields, right? It's kind of like egging a house. Has anybody ever egged a house? Yeah, me, me neither, right? Yeah. <laughs> But it turns out that this was a big deal. It wasn't just a prank or this, you know, thing like, what's, what's up with this, him burning these things? It was actually a major blow uh, to their provision, provisions. It says of the harvest, right? So these, these crops are, are ready to gather, ready to be, you know, stored and all of those things. And I think that the hidden thing on here that, that the text doesn't explain is that a lot of these were actually going to be offerings towards their gods. Like a lot of these provisions would have been used um, as, as an offering unto their gods. So uh, Samson burns them. Naturally, the Philistines are ticked, um, which is not surprising. 
and they seek to find out, right, who done it. And of course, Samson, because his father-in-law gave his wife away. Um, this is a crazy story, right? Uh, naturally, the Philistines burn them alive. Like that is their, you know, plan for, for people who, who have done them wrong. And that causes Samson to retaliate by striking them hip and thigh, which something that he lames them, like he purposefully like stabs them so they can't walk anymore. Others things that it would have been like fatal, they just would have like bled out. So it was a, you know, worse um, either way, whatever, you know, side you land on, um, he messed some people up, right? And, and he, what is going on here with all of these retaliations and, and people getting back um, on one another? Remember, from what we know of Samson, we know that he is pretty hot-headed, right? Driven by his own desires and his own passions, like we learned last week, his, his pleasure is his treasure, but we also know that he is sent by God to save Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. So God, through this act, which both of these acts, which kind of seem right, like teenage a little like emotional or whatever, God is demonstrating his power both over the Philistines through one man and over their gods too. So he's not just doing some random acts of getting back at the Philistines. He's actually going after their God, provide, or showing that he has power over them and over the Philistines themselves. This is good news to us because God is more powerful than any of the gods like we choose to worship or the idols that we choose to worship. And so if he has power over these Philistines and their gods and how you know, strong they were at the time, he has power over ours too. So Samson, we see, goes and hides in a rock. He's got to like wait for the heat, right, uh, to blow over. So, so he is kind of chilling right now, which leads us uh, to verses 9 through 17, which I see is kind of like the meat of, of this passage. And it says, Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on uh, Lehi, I think. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Etam and said to Samson, Do you know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so have I done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you won't attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him from the rock. When he, said to, uh, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes uh, that were on his arms became as flax that, he has, uh, that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it, he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramoth-Lehi. Okay, so chain reaction continuing, right, of, of these offenses, retaliation, all of these things, um, to the point where the Philistines go into the land of Judah and, and making a raid on one of their cities. It isn't clear in the text, doesn't say 
Um, but my, my brain has to assume that it's to replenish all of these, you know, lost provisions that Samson just burned, right? They're, they're, they have to go and, and get it somewhere. So they are just exerting their power and their rule over the Israelites um, to restore that. And the Israelites, they're like, well, hey, what's going on? You know, out of curiosity, why, why are you coming up against us? And they explain to find Samson, their kinsman, their judge, right? Their deliverer. Instead of protecting Samson, which is, you know, this is the interesting part. Instead of protecting him and recognizing what God is doing, they send 3,000 men to go get him. 3,000 against one guy. It's clear, you know, by, by that number that they're not taking any chances uh, of him getting away, right? So they send 3,000 guys. The question that I think we have to ask ourselves that, you know, is why are they willing to send 3,000 guys to go get one person when they could use those resources to fight off their oppressors? Like, why, why are they using their resources to go get Samson? And here is my, my point, is that Israel has forgotten who they are, who their God is, and what he can do. So Israel has forgotten their God and what he can do. They're living like they are captives instead of children of God. They traded in truth of their identity for a lie. In a major sense, they're doing what seems good in their own eyes. To continue to live under the Philistine rule, to go get Samson and turn him in, right? And, and the truth is, is that we do the same. Instead of looking to God as our ultimate authority, we look to what is around us and what is ruling over us. For me, I don't know about you, but for me, I look to the approval of others. That is my like ruler and authority, unfortunately, a lot of the time. I cling to it as my authority to, to tell me who I am, to uh, tell me how to live and all of those things. An example is this last year I became uh, the, the director of our, our, our campus ministry. And honestly, most of the staff meetings uh, and the time that I, am, I think I am called to care for and love and serve the people on my team, I spent all that time thinking about whether they liked me or approved of me or not. And honestly, like that is not my calling and that is not who I am, right? My, my job or my calling in life is not to be liked or approved of by others, right? It's to love God and love other people. That is my calling in life. And so I have traded in truth of who I am uh, for a lie. And the, uh, I don't know, I have been watching a lot of Disney movies. Uh, Thea really enjoys songs. Um, so recently watched uh, The Lion King. Uh, honestly, the 90s version is just so much better. Sorry, someone had to say it. Um, but my favorite scene in that movie, right, is, well, if, if, sorry if I'm spoiling it. I hope everyone has watched Lion King. If not, that is what you have to do as soon as you leave this room. But Simba, right, has, has run away, and he has got this Hakuna Matata uh, you know, new slogan that he lives by, right? But, but we all know underneath that he is a king. He is, he is the king of Pride Rock, right? And that is who he is. But he has traded that in for a lie that's just like, I don't care about anything. I'm just going to live freely and all of these things. And there's this point where Rafiki, it's probably like my favorite name on the planet, uh, takes him and he says, I, I've seen your father, right? And I can show you. And he takes him to Mufasa, and Mufasa, you know, he's like looking in the reflection. He's like, that, that's you. You are a king. And Mufasa in his, you know, powerful voice, you know, says, remember who you are, right? 
And I think that there's a lot to that scene in that movie that, that God tries to explain to us. Is, is we, like Simba, have kind of taken whatever's around us and we, we start to live by that and, and allow it to rule us instead of living as we truly are. And so my question for you to wrestle with is where have you traded in the truth of your identity for a lie? Where have you traded in the truth of your identity for a lie? So I, I know some of you in this room, but, but I can't figure that out, you know, by, by looking at you, right? Um, and so for, for some of us, that, that could be success. Like, I have to be the most successful blank that there is, right? Uh, maybe it's your career field. It's like, I have to make it to this level of my career in order for me to really have meaning and purpose and to be who God has made me to be. Maybe for you in this season, it has been your, your political stance or your political affiliation. Like that has become the, the world that you swim in, in a sense. And that is like telling you who you are, right? And giving you your value identity and those things. Being good enough, right? Uh, I struggle with this one. It's like, I want to be a good enough dad. Like at the end of the day, when my head hits the pillow, I struggle with like, was I a good enough dad today? You know, was I a good enough friend? And maybe that's you too. Maybe it's your image is like, if I just look this way or the world around me is telling me to look blank and that, you know, shapes your thoughts, your actions, your decisions, your, your, your uh, checkbook, all of those things. And so for you, I want you to wrestle with that question this week is where have you traded in, you know, the truth of your identity for a lie like the Israelites have here. And going back to the text, they're willing to turn in their, their own savior, right? Their own deliverer to keep the peace. They're like, you, you can have this guy as long as, as you don't mess with us, as long as things stay the same and we continue to live under your rule, you, you can have this guy, right? And I'm going to continue to live the way I'm living. Why do they do this? I, I came up with two reasons. There's probably more, um, but I think perhaps it's out of fear is I think that they're afraid that they aren't, maybe aren't strong enough to overcome the Philistines that God actually like wouldn't show up and that they would fail and lose a lot of their lives and, you know, be under worse oppression than they are now. And I think they might be afraid of what might happen if they fail. Or maybe they're just really comfortable <laughs> with things the way that they are. They're just like, this is what we know, you know, we just learned to deal with it and uh, I've, we're just gotten used to it. Does that sound familiar to anybody? What are we willing to do or what are we doing in order to protect the gods that we're serving instead of our heavenly father? What are you willing to do? What am I willing to do? Potentially that, that could be like lying, you know, just like telling little white lies. So, you know, people don't see, you know, this, this identity that, that we're living under. It could be isolating where you have uh, chosen to uh, tell yourself a lie and believe it and isolate from community and friends or maybe not being fully honest with people and where you're at. It can kind of guise, uh, uh, disguise itself as self-righteousness, you know, like where you think uh, you have the answers because of the way, you know, you're living in, in, in that identity that you're living under. It even creates division, right? It's like we, we've seen a lot of that. It doesn't take long to to look up some like articles amongst churches or uh, Christians today and, and see the amount of division and split that is happening amongst people. And in my opinion, it is because people are living not under their identity as, as uh, loved, uh, 
you know, sons and daughters of Christ, but because of a different identity that they are living other, living under. And we too, right, might be living under fear, fear of what others might think if they really knew us, uh, fear of failure, maybe even fear of what God might ask us to do or give up. Maybe the Israelites were like, hey, you know, I know we might lose some of our guys or we might lose this, this, and this if we end up living out of our identity. And we might have to, you know, a lot of us, we love our comfort and it's easy to stay in our ruts rather than get out of it. If anybody's, you know, ridden motorcycles or even just gone on some dirt roads, getting out of a rut is, is sometimes extremely difficult and dangerous. Like it's just easy uh, uh, to stay in, in it. Um, and it makes me think of, you know, C.S. Lewis's famous quote with uh, Chronicles of Narnia, you know, where uh, he says, uh, God is not safe, right? But he is good. So there's no guarantee that getting out of your rut isn't going to be dangerous, so to speak, um, but it is good. Um, interestingly, uh, Samson willingly gives himself up uh, over to the men of Judah. Uh, I, I find that fact interesting. Like he so far has been like, you're not taking me like I'm, I'm going to fight off everybody, but he gives himself up. And ironically, in this passage, Samson demonstrates a greater trust in God's deliverance than the men of Judah. And I find that very interesting because I think we can be quick to be like, Samson, what are you doing, pal? Like, what are you thinking? And so I wouldn't be too quick, you know, to judge Samson. He is at least following God's call in his life. You know what I mean? He he's obviously struggles in, in many ways, as we see here in a, in a sec. But um, he at least is trusting God with where he's taking him. And sure enough, God fills Samson with a spirit, gives Samson the strength to kill 1,000 men with a donkey skull. Anybody who'd like to see that in an action movie, you know, just, I think they made a Samson movie recently. I, I don't know if you guys saw, I didn't, but um, I think that would be a crazy scene, you know, uh, to, to watch. And as Samson does this, he, he whistles a little tune to himself in, in celebration, um, another indication that the, that the dude is not perfect, right? <laughs> um, but remember that God can use prideful, immature men, you know, to accomplish his work, men and women. One message, you know, should be receiving, you know, we should see in the life of Samson is that you don't have to have your stuff together for God to use you. Clearly here, is that Samson doesn't have his stuff together. A couple of examples, if you're familiar with uh, the New Testament, is, is the woman at the well, when Jesus talks to her, uh, she experiences life change and she goes, tells her whole city. Like she, she had, you know, been divorced multiple times. She was with someone who wasn't her husband. She did not have her stuff together in ways that we probably think, but God still used her, right? There's a demon-possessed man in Mark 5 where is literally chained before Jesus sees him, Right? And, and probably has nobody, right? And, and he goes back to his town after experiencing Jesus and, and the whole city, right? Uh, um, uh, comes to know Jesus or at least responds to that message. So remember that you don't have to have your stuff together for God to use you. And as we finish up here, uh, verse 18 through 20, I'll read real, real quick. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand and that place was called Rama Lehi. That was from the last one, sorry. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore the name of it was called en 
Hor, maybe, and it is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. So naturally, after killing 1,000 people with a donkey bone, you're going to be, or donkey, donkey, um, donkey bone, you're going to be a tad thirsty. But even with his incredible strength, Samson needs help. He needs God to come in and replenishes him, uh, to replenish him. He calls on God, and God gives him water that replenishes his soul. We see here that even Samson recognizes that only God could renew him and rescue him. Even though his theology, in my opinion, is, is a little off and that he feels he deserves it uh, after all that he has done, nonetheless, he recognizes that God is the source of restoration, provision, and protection, which I think is far more than we see from the Israelites at this time. So what is this? you know, kind of whole passage have to do with us, you know, my favorite or with Jesus as, as we talk about in our, you know, purpose is to make Jesus the hero. My favorite children's book is called uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, if you have kids and don't have one, um, I would highly recommend it. And then in, under the title, it says, every story whispers his name. And it's talking about Jesus, of course. Um, I believe that every part of the Bible in some way points to Jesus. And here in Judges, uh, I, I see Samson as, as the person or uh, the figure that points us to Jesus. And, and, um, and I think it would be a mistake to compare ourselves fully, you know, to Samson and teach like why we shouldn't be like him and that, that kind of be the main message. Yes, he, he had a lot of issues, but ultimately he was Israel's savior in that time period. He was called by God to rescue and deliver them from the Philistines. Instead, Samson points us to Christ. And let me show you how. Samson was sent by God with a specific purpose to rescue Israel out of the hands of the Philistines who dominated and had control of him. Likewise, Jesus was sent with a specific purpose to rescue people from the greater enemy of sin. Israel was under the impression of a, uh, the oppression of a foreign enemy, someone who did not belong to Israelite, and, and so are we under the oppression of the foreign enemy of sin. It doesn't take but a few minutes in our world to see things aren't as they should be, right? Uh, we, we look around and, and see like a pit in our stomach when we see evil or, or tragic things happen. And that is a result of sin. As you can see, it's a foreign enemy. It's, it's not natural to us. And ultimately, oh, sorry, uh, even if you look at it this way, um, what was causing Israel to become distant from God? Ultimately, yes, it was their sin, but they were under the authority or the influence of a, of a foreign uh, oppressor. And, and uh, so God acts on their behalf, right? Uh, and sends them and rescues them using a judge, Samson. God does the same with us. Sin causes an uncrossable chasm um, or gap br uh, between us and God. And John 3.16, very quotable passage, right, tells us that God loved us enough to bridge that gap using his own son. And if Samson is like Jesus, then that means we're like the Israelites. We're in need of saving, and, and we have turned our back on God, and we need to be rescued and brought back into relationship with him. We need someone to reconnect us with God and bridge the gap that our sin creates. And Samson, like Jesus, was handed over by his own people to be sentenced to death. His own people um, didn't even realize what God was doing through him. Um, they were so trapped in their own sin that they couldn't recognize God's hand working. You could say that they were so far from God to see that they were even being rescued, that God was trying to rescue them. It's 
kind of like, you know, someone falls overboard on a ship and you like throw a life preserver. They're like, no, that'll like send me to the bottom of the ocean. You're like, no, really? Like, this is, this is what's going to save you. They're like, no, I'm, I'm going to, I'm okay. I'll, I'll tread water uh, until someone, something else comes. Um, and, and for you and me, I think we can resonate with that sometimes. Um, but unlike Jesus, Samson was uh, delivered from his ropes, whereas Jesus had nails driven through his hands to keep him on the cross. Samson was replenished with water to revive his soul, and when Jesus cries out to God, he's given nothing. Samson has his soul revived. Jesus willingly gives his away. Jesus is denied water to keep him alive so that you and I would have access to living streams of water as Jesus promised. Most tragically, God shows up for Samson in his greatest hour of need. He comes in and he says, I will give you water, Samson. Jesus is left alone on the cross crying out, why have you forsaken me? Why was he left alone? This was the only way to truly free us from our enemy of sin. Through Jesus' life, death, death, and resurrection, God has provided a path to himself. The Bible says that at Jesus' death, the moment of his death, the curtain was split in two, which means that we have access to the God of the universe, but the path to him leads straight through the heart of Jesus. You see, the Israelites were given an identity. God tells them that they shall be his people and he shall be, his God. He shall be their God. We too are adopted into God's family through Christ and we're given a new identity. We are children of God. The Israelites forgot that, so much so that they're willing to give away their, own, their Savior. Centuries later, they forget again and hand over God himself and the person of Jesus Christ uh, over to be crucified. And so, you know, friends, church family, let's not forget, you know, who we are. And even if it has to be the voice of Mufasa, you know, like playing in your, your ears of remember who you are. And so uh, I like to do, um, just with the couple minutes I have left, um, I would like to give just a few things of like, what do I do out of this? And I want to start by saying these things will not and cannot save you. So if you're looking to them as a checkbox, you know, anybody that's a get or done type person, uh, I would challenge you to, to see the heart in these things. The first is become, you know, start by becoming a child of God. Allow yourself to be adopted into the family of God if you're not. The cool thing, as I mentioned before, is God pursues the Israelites before they even call on him. They're not calling out to him, and God still acts on their behalf. The same with you and me. Uh, what if God was pursuing you right now, even if you weren't like calling out to him? I had the same experience where I had a, a friend in high school and in college that was pursuing me and sharing Jesus with me. And I never said, God, where are you at? He just put somebody in my life. And maybe that's you. Jesus says that no one comes to the Father except through him. And I pray that you would take that step into being in a relationship with him. Jesus has bridged that gap and, and it's simply going to him. Uh, the second thing is, uh, I, I need to mention the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that you, uh, one of the roles of, of the Holy Spirit is that he seals our relationship with God. So I like to tell my students that uh, it's kind of like being trapped in like, uh, it sounds kind of weird and creepy, but hopefully it'll make sense. Uh, you're kind of trapped in this steel box with no windows, no doors, no nothing with the Holy Spirit. 
and, and, I, and I tell students, like, he's not going anywhere, right? As, as you are near him, even if you feel so distant from him, the, God has given you the power of the Holy Spirit to, to uh, be with you and guide you and, and near to you. I also do this, like, analogy that sometimes we feel like when we sin, we're just, like, separated from God all over again, and we got to, like, reconnect that. I think that's tarnishing and taking away the power of what Jesus did on the cross. So I like to hold my hands out like this, and it's like, when you sin, you might, you might, you know, break from God or trust in your own way, but God never, ever lets go. This side never changes. That is the promise that he gives. Um, and the truth is we can't do this. We can't live out of our identity and, and, and obedience uh, to who we're called without the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. You cannot do it in your own strength. And thankfully, God has given you his power through the Spirit. Um, and if you want to know more about that, I love talking about it. So uh, come grab me. Uh, the third is this community. You have to have community. Uh, these, are, these are the people who will help you remember. And, okay, like if you're going into community, gospel communities uh, are starting again. Uh, not just going and then like, hey, I need to be reminded of who I am. Your role in community is also to remind people. Like, are you reminding people who they are? Are you encouraging them and say, saying like, you're, you know, a son of God and, and I love you as a brother or a sister? And, and so that's encouraging people, telling them what you think of them. And the last one is this, pretty simple. Uh, is time with God, is we're all different. Um, and so an encouragement to make time for it. Uh, I, I think myself included, we're willing, we, we willingly carve out time for the gym, you know, haircuts, Netflix, you name it. We, we make plenty of time for the things that, you know, we, we like or enjoy. Um, but how often are we, you know, hanging out with God, like scheduling dates with him or something like that. Um, and, and maybe for you, that's like going on a walk or, you know, reading a book, reading the Bible, something like that. Um, but you know yourself and, and how you connect with him and be in his presence. And he will remind you of who you are. Um, and this isn't a guilt trip. It's like he, he wants to spend time with you. You know, it's like I want to spend time with my daughter. And she, you know, it's like I'm not like, hey, you got to spend time with me if you, you want me to stay your dad. You know, it's like that, that would be, you know, um, I would never say that to my daughter. Um, it, it's because I love and enjoy, you know, being with her and remind her, you're my daughter and dad, dad I love you, you know. And so you are his treasure, as, as we were reminded of last week. And so with that, I'd love to pray. Um, Father, thanks for, uh, again, for your word. Um, thank you that it is an encouragement to us and... Uh, uh, a conviction to us, Lord, and where we are not trusting in you um, and, and looking to you uh, to, to remind us of who we really are and truly are. Um, and so, Lord, we, we, we pray that you would remind us of this um, throughout this week and, and beyond. We pray this all in your name. Amen.